Well, of course, friends, it is that time of year when people take a hard look at themselves and they decide that it's time for a change. You know, out of all of the New Year's traditions that we practiced here in the United States, without a doubt, the most widespread of all of our American traditions is the making of resolutions. Now, according to the latest statistics, approximately 91 million Americans are going to make some resolutions coming into this week. They're going to make resolutions on everything from getting fit to losing weight, eating healthy, stopping smoking, reading more, spending more time with their families, getting out of debt, or even getting organized. But you know, friends, the real tragic part about this whole resolution revolution is this truth that while 91 million Americans will make resolutions, the reality is that more than 70 million will break those resolutions within one week. You know, for as much as people say that they want a change in their lives, the truth is, is that by the second week of January, most people's resolutions are ruined. And so what was a, a real honest attempt at change turns into just wishful thinking. And in reality, it becomes just another resolution for next New Year. Well, Christian friends, as we've gathered together here on this special New Year's weekend, we're going to examine today a passage of Scripture in God's Word that shows us some, some resolutions that aren't going to ruin us. You know, those resolutions out in the secular world, they're so typically ruined in just a few short days. But these four resolutions that we will look at today from God's Word here at the conclusion of Romans chapter 13, these are resolutions that are not only reachable for us as believers, they are also truly beneficial to us. They're going to help us be more vibrant believers in 2019. So friends, I want you to join me now here in God's Word in Romans 13 as we consider this message, four resolutions that won't ruin you. Now family, you'll remember from your own reading and your own study of God's Word that the epistle of Romans is the Apostle Paul's most important work. It is Paul's magnum opus. It is a theological tour de force. This is the Bible's most important treatise on this subject of salvation. In the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul presents these great doctrines about salvation. He unpacks them. He defends this great doctrine of justification by faith alone through Jesus Christ alone. Well, then we get up to chapter 12, and through the remainder of chapter 12, through the rest of the book, Paul now begins to unpack and really apply a lot of these central truths to our everyday Christian lives. Now, family, here in the early verses of chapter 13, Paul gets really practical with these believers he's writing to. He says that Christians are to be submissive to the government. We're to obey the governing authorities in our lives. Christians are also to, to obey God by paying their taxes. Christians are to keep up with their financial obligations. We're supposed to pay our bills. We're supposed to pay our financial uh, bills when they come due. And Christians are especially to love their neighbors as themselves. Well, as we get to the end of chapter 13, this 
great chapter concludes with some very urgent commands that all Christians are called to obey because Paul is going to show us that time is of the essence. Time is of the essence. So family, as we look at these urgent exhortations here in the final verses of Romans 13, what are four spiritually minded resolutions that you and I as Christians should embrace for this new year, knowing that time is of the essence, knowing that Jesus Christ is coming soon? Well, friends, we want to talk today about four biblical resolutions that won't ruin you. Four biblical resolutions that won't ruin you. Here's the first one. Number one, wake up from spiritual apathy. Number one, wake up from spiritual apathy. Look with me at God's Word in Romans 13, verse 11. Scripture says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now, friends, as we think about this chapter of God's Word as a whole, the Apostle Paul is getting real practical. The whole final section of Romans gets real practical as Paul starts to apply doctrine to the everyday life and existence of the Christian. These practical instructions were originally written to Christians who were living in the ancient city of Rome. But family, it's important to understand that in reality, these important commands apply to Christians in every city and in every generation. So as we come to verses 11 and following, there's this heightened sense of, of urgency that Paul is striking, this note of urgency. Uh, and he's giving this urgency because he, he knows that time is of the essence. It's not going to be long before Jesus Christ comes again. And once Jesus comes again and all of the, the uh, things begin to unfold regarding His kingdom, well then, all of those earthly opportunities that we would have to make a lasting contribution for Jesus, well, they'll be done. Once Jesus has arrived, our contributions really begin to diminish. Notice how Paul begins there in verse 11. Paul says, and do this knowing the time. Now, that word time is important. You should underline it. In the original Greek text, this word refers not to the tick-tock of chronological time. No, this word time refers to time as a, as a block, an, an era, an era of time, an epoch of time, or, or an age, an age. So it won't be long, the Bible tells us, before this chapter or this age of human history comes to a close. And then the next chapter will begin with the literal return of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, writing here, he knows that this present age in which we live, this present era of history, this present chapter, this era, it's winding down. Paul writes very urgently that now is the time. Now is the hour. Now is the moment. In the New King James, it reads that now is the high time, high time to awaken out of sleep because our salvation, the Bible says, is nearer than when we first believed. Now, when Paul writes there that our salvation is nearer, what he's, what he's alluding to there is that final phase of our salvation. In theology, we call it our glorification. 
when we finally reach heaven and we are receive salvation in its final fullness. And the Bible says that that glorification for every Christian is not far off. It is just around the corner. Look in your notes. I gave you a wonderful quote from a great theologian of our day, Dr. John MacArthur. And MacArthur said this, quote, We do not know and we cannot know the hour of Christ's coming. But what we do know is that it is some 2,000 years closer than when Paul wrote his letter to Rome. We do not know how much sand remains in the top of the Lord's hourglass of human history as we know it, but there is abundant evidence that not much time is left. So friends, in light of that truth, what is the urgent command that is given here to every single Christian in view of, of Jesus' imminent return? Do you see the command? Wake up. Wake up. Wake up from your spiritual slumbers and seize the day to live for Jesus Christ before it's too late. You know, family, many scientists have written that when teenagers and young people are growing up and working through puberty, scientists tell us that their, their liver, their liver, that internal organ, is going through all kinds of wacky changes all kinds of wacky chemical things are happening inside the liver of those teenagers. And did you know, that is the primary reason why they sleep so much. You know, even to this day, my parents love to tease me. They love to tease me about the, the great amounts of time, the huge blocks of time that I would sleep when I was a teenager. I will never forget on one of our vacation trips, my parents were very close with a former pastor of the church that I grew up with in Maryland. My dad was a deacon, and he was very close with this pastor. And so when this pastor's family moved to Texas, on one of our vacation trips one year, we decided we were going to swing down through Texas and visit this pastor and his family. Well, in West Virginia, I fell asleep. And I woke up in Texas. And how many sights and sounds. How many spectacular views did I miss along the way as I slept in the back seat of that Dodge Caravan, just sleeping and sleeping for hours and hours? How many great sights did I miss out on in that journey simply because I was unwilling as a teenager, I was unwilling to be awakened from my slumber? Family, Paul's, Paul's urgent command here for every single Christian is wake up. Wake up. Wake up from your spiritual slumbers. Wake up from that spiritual apathy. Wake up from that spiritual lethargy that so permeates our lives. And Paul says, wake up. Get busy. Start making a difference in this world for Jesus Christ. If you look there in your sermon notes in your bulletin, I gave you a few of these scriptures. I'm going to highlight them now. Paul told the Ephesian Christians something similar. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul wrote to these Christians, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. 
Christian friend, I want you this morning, I want you to hear the alarm. Hear the penetrating alarm of the scriptures. By God's grace, he's been so kind to you, you had 2018. But dear friend, 2019 is not promised to you. You don't know what's coming down in the weeks to come of 2019. And who knows? Who knows what 2019 will bring for you? Dear friends, wake up. Wake up. Wake up from your spiritual lethargy, your slumbering, sleepy spiritual life. It's time to wake up. It's time to get serious about spiritual matters. You know, maybe you're listening to this message this morning and you're not a Christian. Dear friend, we can make this very same challenge to you this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, well, the Bible would say to you, it's time for you to wake up. It's time for you to snap out of your, of your spiritual slumber. It's time for you to recognize that there's only one way that you could be made right with God again, and that is to know Jesus Christ. Oh, friend, if you're not a Christian, the Bible says you are on a collision course with eternity. And the Bible says you are soon to face God's judgment because of your life and because of your sins. And the Bible says there's only one solution for you. There's only one solution for your sin and for your guilt. And the Bible says it's Jesus Christ. It is the salvation that only Jesus Christ can provide for you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, today is the day of salvation. Friend, I want you to know today how urgent it is, how urgent it is that you come to know Jesus Christ. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. That's not something to wait for. It's not something to linger on. It's today. Time is of the essence. Today is the day that God wants you to turn from your sins with a humble heart and to believe on Jesus Christ. Oh, friend, if God is speaking to your heart, even at this moment, about your soul's need, that you need a relationship with Jesus, that you need to have salvation, oh, friend, don't delay. Today is the day for you to know Jesus Christ. Friend, I pray that this final Sunday of 2018, I pray this is the day that you will welcome Jesus Christ into your life and that you will begin to live 2019 fully devoted to Him. Now, can we move forward together? I want to show you a second resolution from God's Word that won't ruin you. A second resolution, number two, take up the daily battle. Number two, take up the daily battle. Look with me at God's Word, Romans 13 is our text. Look at verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Now, friends, when you and I think about the celebration of New Year that's about to come cascading all the way across the world, as we think about New Year's in the modern society, typically New Year's is all about staying up late into the night, indulging in way too much food and alcohol, being loud and carefree with one's family and friends, and then the next day, sleeping in as late as possible. Now, friends, if we were to go back in our time machine and go back into human history, even back into the first century era, 
where Paul the Apostle lived, did you know that that same kind of party atmosphere was a common occurrence? That same kind of party spirit happened often, and it especially happened amongst soldiers. Soldiers who were coming off a great battle or a big victory. On the eve of, of a decisive military win, soldiers would take up their food and they'd take up their wine and they'd take up their women and they would spend the whole night just indulging their pleasures. Well, of course, as you might imagine, by the next morning, as the first little peaks of sunlight began to break through the morning sky, most of these soldiers were still conked out in a drunken sleep. And most of them, by morning light, were completely unfit for the day's duty. Now, Christians, I want you to keep that picture in mind as you come to verse 12. Because I think that's the picture, I think that's the imagery that the Apostle Paul is thinking about. When he writes verse 12, he's thinking about this drunken soldier who has spent all night long partying and revelry and sin. And now that soldier, the next morning, is not ready. He's unprepared for the next day's action. Well, in contrast, stark contrast to that foolish soldier, this drunken soldier, Paul writes about the Christian. The Christian who is to be a wise, clear-headed, sober-minded soldier. The Christian who understands this preparation that every day is a new day to live and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see what Paul wrote there in our text? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Paul says, therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, there's two key verbs there you better not miss. Mark them. Underline them. Those key verbs, cast off and put on. That first one, that first phrase, cast off, it has the idea of forsaking something, taking it off, getting, getting rid of it. You're completely renouncing it, saying goodbye to it once and for all. Paul is talking about completely turning away from all of the sinful escapades that would hinder any kind of service to the Lord Jesus. Now, this is an exhortation. This is a command that we see in the New Testament given again and again. Look in your notes. I gave you Ephesians 4.22, where Paul writes, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through those deceitful desires. Paul wrote something similar to the Colossians in Colossians 3, verse 8. But now you must put these all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Family, we've been learning over a number of weeks together, even through our Christmas sermon series, that darkness, darkness in the Bible is typically a metaphor for sin. Darkness is a great metaphor in Scripture for sin and wickedness and corruption. And light, on the other hand, is a great metaphor in the Bible for, for what is true, for what is pure, for what is right. We just spent a whole Christmas series together in the month of December, and we learned how Jesus called himself the light of the world. Well, is it any wonder then that Paul, writing to the followers of Jesus, Jesus is the light of the world, Paul writes to these followers of Jesus, and he calls on Christians, 
to cast away, to cast off all the remnants of darkness and to instead put on the armor of light. Now, what is this armor of light that Paul is talking about? Well, guess what, family? We know exactly what the armor of light is. Paul calls it the armor of God over in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul unpacks piece by piece the armor, the armor of light, the armor of the soldier of light. And you remember these things, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of gospel presentation, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The question we ought to be asking, though, is why do we need the armor of light? Why do we need this armor? Well, we find out why. In that same passage in Ephesians 6, look in your notes, I gave you that scripture. Ephesians 6 and verse 11, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Christian friend, I want you to take a fresh reminder here on this New Year's weekend. I want to remind you of something, Christian friend. You are no longer a member of Satan's mayhem militia. You do not belong to the mayhem militia anymore. No, Scripture says now you are a soldier of the light. You are a soldier of Jesus Christ. And just like we sing in that famous Christian hymn, So You and I Are To Do. Remember this lyric from that famous hymn, Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies through His eternal Son. Believer, when you remember that the chapter of history is soon coming to a close, and that Jesus is coming again soon, well, not only does God want you to wake up from your spiritual slumbers, God wants you to take up this daily battle in service to Christ. But here's the third resolution, number three. Straighten up with a righteous lifestyle. Number three, straighten up with a righteous lifestyle. Look in our text, Romans 13, verse 13. Paul writes, Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Now, Christian friends, as you do your own Bible reading, as you study and read through the New Testament, and particularly the various letters and writings of the Apostle Paul, you will soon discover that one of Paul's favorite analogies, one of Paul's favorite metaphors for the Christian life is that of the walk. The walk. Now, over the past few weeks, I've seen a lot of pictures out on social media as I'm scrolling through my Facebook and I'm scrolling through Instagram. I see lots of people, lots of family members and friends out on special walks. I've seen some of these folks who are out walking through their neighborhoods looking at the Christmas lights. Some others were walking through snow-covered woods 
and we're taking these beautiful pictures of the snow coming down. I've even seen some of you here at Grace Baptist walking in and amongst all the spectacular lights of New York City. One of Paul's favorite analogies for the Christian life is the walk. The walk. It's the journey. And it shouldn't surprise us then, family, that that favorite analogy of Paul shows up here to the Romans. Romans 13, 13, Paul says it urgently. It's a command. He's, he's exhorting here for every Christian to walk properly. Walk properly, Paul says, as in the day. Now, of course, what Paul's referring to here with this walk, he's not talking about your literal step-by-step walk. He's not giving you instructions on right foot, left foot. No, the, the, the picture here is this of your life, your lifestyle, the manner in which your lifestyle is being lived out. You see, Paul's writing to these Christians, and his point is, is if we have truly cast off all those old works of darkness, if we really are now a soldier of the light, if we put on the armor of light, then we ought to be therefore behaving properly for Christ. We ought to have a, a lifestyle that is righteous, a lifestyle that honors Jesus, a lifestyle that is above reproach. Now, family, what's interesting to me about the beginning there of verse 13, if you're using the New King James, your translation has this phrase, walk properly. Some of the other uh, translations, like the New American Standard or the ESV, have this phrase, behave decently. So you have the New King James says walk properly, ESV and others says behave decently. Guess what? Those are both great translations. They're both getting to the right idea of what Paul has in mind, which is behavior. Our behavior, our lifestyle, it should be godly. It should be Christ-honoring. It should be spiritually mature. If Jesus is the light of the world and we are a follower of Jesus, then our behavior ought to be filled with light. You know, friends, how many times have you and I been out in public? Maybe you've been at the mall and you've seen this maybe even in a store, maybe even in a restaurant, and you're watching this flustered parent. This parent, they, they are at the end of their rope with this little kid, this child who is rambunctious, unruly, maybe disobedient, and the mom or the dad is trying to get them to do something, and the kid just being really ornery and they don't want to listen and they're kicking and they're stomping their feet and they're pouting and you're seeing this parent are so frustrated with this disobedient child now if, if you're anything like me and you be honest you be honest you would probably you'd say some words under your breath and you'd say man somebody somebody needs to teach that kid how to behave You know what, friends? Sometimes it's the Christians who don't know how to behave. Sometimes it's Christians who don't know how to behave. And that's exactly what Paul says. Look at that text again. He's talking to Christians. Christians and their behavior. Paul's talking about Christians and their everyday lifestyle out in public. Christian friends, can I just remind you of something that maybe you might have forgotten? Paul is not writing here to unbelievers. Paul is not writing to people who don't know Jesus. 
the letter of Romans is written to Christians. He's writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. And unfortunately, there must have been some Christians who were having a lifestyle that was more in line with darkness than with the light of Jesus. How sad is that? Well, what are some of those specific sins that some of these Christians were getting tripped up in? What were some of these sins that were more characteristic of the night than of the day? Well, let's look at them quickly. We'll just step through them. And it seems that Paul uh, unleashes them here in some pairs. Look at the first one there, revelry. Revelry, that's simply another word for carousing. Carousing, it's the party spirit that gets so out of control that it frequently leads to immorality, sexuality, open hedonism. Now, what contributes to that in so many cases is the next word. How do you get revelry? Well, you get to revelry with a whole lot of drunkenness. This purposeful pursuit of intoxication. You're going to see a lot of that over the next couple days where people are purposefully pursuing intoxication for New Year's. And they see that as fun. No doubt both of these that we just mentioned, the revelry and the drunkenness, those continue to be enticing sins of the 21st century. Wouldn't you agree? These are sins that not only lost people struggle with, but even some Christians struggle with these. Look at the next pair. Let's move on. Paul mentions lewdness and lust. Lewdness is a word that refers to sexual promiscuity. That word lust in the original Greek actually is a word that points to a bed or a bedroom. So in other words, Paul's talking here about this open sexuality, this shameless excess that was so prevalent, not only in the first century, but guess what? There's a whole lot of shameless sexual excess in the 21st century as well. Now, notice that last pair of troublesome sins, strife and envy. The word strife refers to a continual contention. You ever known someone who always is looking to pick a fight with someone? Even if it's not a fist fight, they're always just making comments, always, always full of comments that are stirring up trouble. They're always looking for an argument. They're always looking for a fight. They're that antagonistic spirit. That's the word, strife. And of course, envy, you've heard of envy. It's a synonym for the word jealousy. It's a selfish ambition that burns so hot. It's an envy. It's a jealousy that just burns to have what that other person has. And, oh, I'd give anything to have what they have. Believers, the bottom line here is all of these are deeds of darkness. These are deeds of darkness. These have no business being in the lifestyle of the Christian who is a soldier of light. So Christian friend, can I remind you today, these words, these troublesome sins, these were not written to unbelievers. Paul isn't warning unbelievers about these troublesome sins. He's writing to Christians like you and me. So let's listen. Let's take the heed. Let's be careful. Let's make it our goal in 2019 to never have any of these kinds of life-ruining sins take root in our lives. I gave you in your notes 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Scripture says, but you were washed. Speaking of believers, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. Listen, believer, if you want a life that's going to be commended by the Lord Jesus, well, you need to straighten up. And you need to pursue this righteous lifestyle that is truly worthy of a soldier of the light of Christ. Now, here's our fourth resolution. 
This is going to bring us right into number four. Grow up into the character of Jesus. Number four, grow up into the character of Jesus. Verse 14, Scripture says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now friends, when you get to verse 14, Paul now sets up this great contrast between the ways of darkness and the ways of light. There's a contrast here, and you pick it up with that key word, but, but. You see, rather than being clothed by the values and the practices of this sinful world, Paul writes that every Christian is to be clothed with Jesus Christ. That's what Paul means when he writes that phrase, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now friends, it's important for you and I to remember the moment, the moment that you and I came to believing, saving faith in the gospel. The Bible says that Christ very much came to dwell in us. Christ is in His people. There is a real sense in which Jesus is in every single Christian. The Bible says that Jesus has indwelt us with His very own Holy Spirit. And Jesus has empowered us with a brand new spiritual nature. It's a new nature that's been made alive in Christ. But family, even though Jesus is in us by the Spirit, even though we have this new nature that's been made alive in Christ, the truth of Scripture is that you and I are still called to participate in the growth process. You and I are to be active in pursuing our spiritual maturity. How do we do that? We're to be putting off all those old dark tendencies, all those old habits of darkness, and we are instead to be pursuing new habits, habits of the light, habits and a lifestyle that are worthy of a soldier of the light of Christ. Now, you know what, friends? The Bible has a name for this this pursuit, this growth in spiritual things, this journey in which you're growing progressively in grace, the Bible has a word for that. It's called sanctification. Sanctification. Through this process, more and more, you are looking less and less like the world, and you are looking more and more like Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're growing a beard or growing your hair. No, it just means that more and more in your character, you're looking less and less like the world around you. And each day, progressively, inch by inch, step by step, one day at a time, every day, your character looks a little more like Jesus. Family, this is a command that the Bible gives us. It's a command given not just to the Roman Christians, but to all Christians. Look in your notes, I gave you Galatians 4. Paul told the Galatians that he was going to keep working with them. He was going to keep teaching them. He was going to keep challenging them until, Paul said, Christ is formed in you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is another great scripture that talks about this process by which you and I are being shaped into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says you and I are being transformed into the same image. In other words, we look at Jesus and we see Jesus, almost like looking in a mirror. You look in a mirror, you see your own face. Well, the Bible says, you and I, who are we looking to? We're looking to Jesus. And each day we're looking at Jesus and we're setting our eyes on Jesus and more and more each day, you and I are being transformed 
into that image of Jesus that we see. Each day we're looking more and more like Him. Friends, you and I are to be pursuing this. This is what we're called to. It happens positively as we say no to all those habits of darkness and as we say yes to all the habits of light. But did you notice there, Paul adds a little something there on the tail end of verse 14. If we're going to keep growing spiritually, there's one more thing that Paul mentions. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now that word provision is important. It has the idea of planning ahead. Planning ahead and, and setting something aside so that an action can take place. That's the idea of provision. Now let me explain this to you. Christmas was only five days ago. But did you know that there are already some people, I don't know who these people are, it's not me, but there are some people, they're the type A, hyper-organized people. Do you know there are some people who, as of this past Friday, are already putting money aside for next Christmas? I mean, who are these people that they're this organized? Five days after Christmas, they already have money starting to go into their savings account for next year. This past Friday, they got a paycheck, and already on their paycheck, they're letting the bank deduct some money to go into their Christmas club account. I mean, who, who are these people? But what are they doing there? They're making a provision. They're making plans. They're setting the table for some action that's going to happen into next year. It's making a provision. Well, family, Paul says here in our text, if you want to be growing spiritually in Christ, then you need to be diligent not to be making any provisions that are going to encourage or stimulate sin in your life. Christians, isn't it true? The more you think about certain sins, the more you ponder them, the more you dwell on them, the more you think about them, the more you even engage with them, the more you let those sins linger in your thoughts and in your lives. Isn't it true? The more you let them linger the more likely you are to engage them. You know, most of the sins that trip us up over and over again are the ones that we plan for. We let them linger around. We let them hang around long enough. And soon enough, there we are again, engaging in that sin. James chapter 1 tells us, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Listen, Christian, you want to grow in 2019? You want to see spiritual progress in 2019? Then make it your aim to have the character of Jesus be formed in you. You want more of Jesus' attitudes, more of Jesus' actions into your lifestyle. But if you're going to facilitate that, you're going to have to fight off sin. Make no provisions for sin to take root in your life. You've got to cut them off. Cut off those sins. Strangle them. Give them no provision. And let spiritual desires begin to grow in their place. Well, family, as we bring this New Year's message to a close, I want you to just stop with me right now, here at the end, and let's just take a moment or two and let's consider together how these four biblical resolutions can be immediately applied to your Christian life. Christian friend, as you look at your own experience as a Christian, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I truly awake spiritually? Ask yourself, am I truly awake spiritually? Am I wide-eyed? Am I energetic? 
Or, Christian, are you just planning on sleepwalking through another year? Believer, the Bible says it's high time for you to wake up. Wake up spiritually and get with it. The time is now. Listen, for many of you, this means it's time to put away your lame excuses. It's time to join this church. For many of you, it's time to start giving financially to this church. For others of you, it's time to get involved in a ministry or to join a small group, to start attending our adult Bible studies on Sunday morning or coming out to our once-a-month prayer gathering. To pray once a month with fellow believers, is that too difficult? Is that too much of a pressure on you that you can't come once a month to pray? Oh friend, it's time to wake up. Wake up and stop being just another Sunday morning attender. But then secondly, can I ask you this question? Are you dressed appropriately? Are you dressed appropriately? Are you dressing yourself daily in the armor of light? Is it your aim for 2019 to be a better soldier for the Lord Jesus? A soldier who is alert, ready for battle, and ready to serve. Then thirdly, Christian, how's your lifestyle? The way you talk, the way you act, the way you live, the places you go and things you do in this world. Let me ask you, your lifestyle, does it more mimic this world or does it mimic the walk of Jesus Christ? Listen, Christian, the Bible says to be a friend of this world, to be a friend of this world's system makes you an enemy of God. Friend, make it your goal in 2019 to be more holy, to live a more righteous, more godly life. Oh, Christian, that is not what Jesus suggests for you. It is what Jesus commands of you as his follower. And then finally, I would ask you, how are you doing in sanctification? How are you doing in this spiritual growth process? Look back at your life. You're here now at the end of the year, and now look back at 2018. Are you in the same place spiritually that you were last year? Do you see, as you look back over these past 12 months as a Christian, I'm not talking about your checkbook, and I'm not talking about your career, and I'm not talking about your marriage, and I'm not talking about how successful your kids were in school. I'm talking about you in your spiritual life. As you examine your Christian walk over these past 12 months, do you see some markers of growth? Do you see some evidence where, yeah, there was a little uptick of spiritual growth there. I learned this, and I started to obey there. Do you see that? Friends, I'm asking you, is the character of Jesus being formed in you a little more each day? Believers, look, I know these are soul-searching questions. I've searched my soul with them this week. These are soul-searching questions, but they are the questions that we ought to wrestle with if we desire a vibrant Christian life. So Christian friend, as you leave this morning, as you prepare for a new year, don't you be one of those 70 million Americans who will make resolutions only to be ruined by them a week later. Instead, Christian, 
I want you to consider these resolutions as God's will for your life. So embrace them and pray over them. And then ask God to help you live them throughout this next calendar year. Oh friend, by God's grace, you can turn these four resolutions into reality. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.